Hi, welcome to episode 589 of the Fantastic Forecast. I'm Dave Elliott. And you know that move that people do where they try to hold the door open for you, but in the process they block the door with their arm? I'm not a fan of that move. Just let it close. I can open a door, but if I have to grab your arm and move it, it's going to be a scene, man. A scene. In every episode of the Fantastic Forecast, I'll be talking about a different issue of the Fantastic Four. Starting with issue 1 and going all the way to issue 645. And today, it's the 589th issue of the Fantastic Four. It's Fantastic Four 600! Sure, why not? From December 2011, Forever, by Jonathan Hickman, with artist Steve Epting, Carmen Gian Dominico, Ming Doyle, Lionel Francis Yu, and Farrell Dalrymple. Ah, the big 600. Did someone at Marvel forget how to count? They publish issue 588. 11 months go by, and you've got issue 600. The only problem is, they never published issues 589 through 599. And it's not a case where the book FF is just returning to its original numbering, because that spin-off book continues after this with issue 12, later in this episode. In all the weird numbering and renumbering over the last 10 years, the missing 11 issues of the Fantastic Four seem to be the strangest thing of all. So at this point, there is a ton of characters and a bunch of shit going on all at once. We've got Nathaniel Richards in Latveria with the evil Reed Richards and Doctor Doom, who is his mind-controlled slave. We got all the smart kids furiously working on some device back at the Baxter building. There's the anti-priest of Annihilus making devious plans with his boss at the other side of Zero, the trendiest nightclub in Manhattan, drink specials on Tuesday night, women get in free on Thursday night, and on Saturday night, murdering hordes of creatures bent on the annihilation of Earth. We've got the universal Inhumans and the non-universal Inhumans over in Attilan, Crystal and Ronan, are dating, and they're looking up that the rejuvenated Kree Supreme Intelligence, uh, Supremer in Forever City, and in New York, Reed has assembled a giant group of just about every Marvel hero there is, except Moon Knight, and they have their hands full because an armada of Kree warships has just entered the airspace over New York, and clearly, this ain't no friendly visit. Reed and Cap take a moment to talk things over. But Sue says it's not, a it's not a good time for talking, and she starts smashing some ships with her force fields. She says she wants to push the ships away from the city to avoid civilian damage. Good idea. Send the memo to Zack Snyder. So all the heroes spring into action against the Kree invaders. Still, New York itself is taking quite a beating. Back at the other side of Zero, the Anti-Priest is a little confused. He had his own plans for demolishing the city, but the Kree are beating him to it. He pulls out his phone and he sends a text to Annihilus. How does that work? I can't get my cell phone to work in the bathroom, 
But Anihilus has a cell phone plan that allows him to get messages inside the negative zone. I want that carrier. What is that, Verizon, maybe? So the hologram of Anihilus appears, telling the Antipriest to speak. And he tells his boss about the Kree Armada. So Anihilus says to open up the gate to the negative zone now. Which he does, unleashing a swarm of negative zone critters into the city. So uh, Nathaniel, Evil Reed, and Doctor Doom are paying a visit to the current leader of Latveria, Kristoff, who isn't too keen on having this Evil Reed in town. But Nathaniel says they need his help. Doctor Doom's life depends on it. And in Attilan, the Kree Armada is attacking there too. And Medusa says they should run, but Black Bolt says, well, he doesn't really say anything. But he infers that they should stay. Ronan confronts uh, Sir Primer and asks why the invasion is happening. Earth means nothing to them. Sir Primer shoots over some memories to Ronan, filling him in on the history of the Sir Primer seed. Ah, so apparently this Ronan guy isn't hundreds of thousands of years old like I thought. There was just a lot of other accusers who look and dress just like him over the years. After this update, Ronan seems to understand why the Kree are attacking. The Supremer wants the extinction of the Inhumans, but Crystal, who is now shacking up with Ronan, doesn't seem too keen on the idea. Back in New York, they push the Armada away from Manhattan, and they somehow hook up Sue's head. Sue, they, they hook up Sue's head to Iron Man's armor to create a huge shield that covers the entire island. First of all, Sue's powers are not technological. You can't just hook her up to Iron Man and have that work. How does that work? That shouldn't work. What the hell's going on? By the way, there's one big shield over Manhattan. Screw the other four boroughs of New York, by the way, and New Jersey. They've got Manhattan covered. That's the only thing that's important. With chaos going on all around him, Ben suddenly panics and he's like, Alicia! And he runs off to find her. You would think that Spider-Man would do the same thing about Mary Jane, but he doesn't remember they're even married. Back at the Baxter building, the kids are working on something when the Negative Zone monsters show up and the kids run, leaving Alex behind to use his gravity powers to hold back the critters. Down in Soho, Ben finds Alicia and a Kree Sentry robot, which he, She-Hulk, and Red Hulk, Red Hulk, isn't that Thunderbolt Ross? Is there a single cast member of the Hulk comic book that hasn't been the Hulk, or some version of the Hulk at some point? Huh, that book really went off the rails. A whole bunch of more Kree Sentries show up and they zap the She-Hulk. Ben yells at Alicia to run. Yeah, run Alicia, run. You know what? She's blind. She can't run. She'll bump into something. That's probably not a good idea. Back in the Baxter building, Alex is having trouble holding off the critters, but Valeria's device is ready. It's the translocator. She tells Bentley to turn it on, and they jump. The top three floors of the Baxter building are teleported away. Reed said Spider-Man off to make sure that no one was left behind. The Negative Zone critters are trying to open up the main door to the Negative Zone, and the Anti-Priest is there, and the skin on the top of his head starts to peel off, 
revealing that he's a visitor underneath. Or maybe a negative zone monster as well. Probably a negative zone monster. Spider-Man swings in, he fights off the creatures around the door, and he tries to pull these, this device off the door that they've attached to it. Spider-Man can't get the device off. The device goes off, the door opens, and standing there is Johnny Storm. So he was dead and gone for what? One issue of the Fantastic Four? That's pretty, pretty short for such a hyped-up event. Johnny's got a costume with a bunch of lights on it, and a right arm that is covered in some weird alien design stuff. Oh, and he's got Annihilus on a leash. Literally, on a short leash. And this leads right into a flashback from two issues ago, where we see Johnny trapped in the negative zone, mobbed by creatures. Burning as hot as he could, he eventually got captured. Some little guy who looks like Annihilus, looks like a child version of Annihilus, I'm not sure if he's supposed to be the real Annihilus or not. He orders Johnny to open the door to Earth. Johnny refuses. The bad guy smashes Johnny with a stick. Four days later, they get a message from Reed saying that the bad guy, who Reed calls Annihilus, even though the artist draws him so small, he's so tiny. It's, it's a terrible version of Annihilus. He looks like a child Annihilus. Baby Annihilus. Reed wants the body of his brother-in-law back, and he even holds up the ultimate nullifier and threatens to use it. Do you want to die? Reed asks. Annihilus says, Yeah! And he holds up Johnny's ripped up shirt and says, Let's join him! And Reed tells, and he tells Reed to open the door. Really, Reed, that was the worst bluff ever. Next, we see Johnny having nightmares, and he wakes up to find his body being torn apart by bug creatures. It's a very disturbing image, by the way. Clearly, Johnny has lost his, you know, junk. No junk. And this doesn't seem to be much of an issue in future issues, the fact that Johnny no longer has his junk. And then, these crazy bug doctors, they start to sew Johnny back together. It's pretty gross. And after they're done, he's back in his cell, he looks down at his chest, and he says, so gross. He starts ch chatting with some of the other prisoners in the other cells. They're a bunch of universal inhumans, including a blue lady with a red fin on her head, called Els Udanta, the Stone Thrower. And she introduces her friends in the Light Brigade, so they're called, Dara Koik, the All-Knowing, Vor the Sun, Prax Ord, a metallic titan, and the Holid, the Great Beast of the Apocalypse. Now that is a killer nickname. I'm not going to remember any of these other, <laughs> any of these other names, except the Great Beast of the Apocalypse. They were captured after going through that damn Eldrick door. They were supposed to be sacrifices. They have one more buddy, Cal Blackbane, who is currently in the arena fighting for his life for the amusement of Annihilus. And the thing about the Light Brigade is that they often die in the arena, but are reborn to fight again. They're kind of like intergalactic street fighters. 
A month later, Johnny is led into the arena himself to fight Takor the Terrible, a big spider-like creature who quickly gets shot down by some blast of fire. And then Johnny flies over to face Annihilus, who doesn't really care much about fire. He rips Johnny in half. And next thing you know, Johnny is back in the infirmary, getting sewn back together. The stitches down his chest have gone away, but now they've got a towel over his junk. So I guess they sewed his stuff back on as well, Bobbit style. Annihilus is there to pester Johnny some more about opening that gate to Earth. All Johnny does is insults Annihilus' breath. It's bad breath. So bad, it will annihilate you. So Annihilus is very sensitive about his breath. He drags Johnny by his hair down the hall to this other room to watch as Annihilus speaks with one of the evil reeds making that deal to let evil reed use the negative zone and in exchange he will leave the portal open so that Annihilus' armies can overrun Earth. Johnny's like, no, not taking too kindly to this deal. Annihilus smiles. I didn't think he could smile, but he does. Back in his cell, Johnny is trying to get everyone to rise up and overthrow Annihilus. But El Zudanta says that if his plan was just to escape, people might be down with that. But overthrowing Annihilus? Maybe not. Johnny says they need to get their hands on his rod, the cosmic control rod. His new buddies, the Light Brigade, Light Brigade seem interested now. So later, near that gate that leads to Earth, the hordes of Annihilus are gathering, ready to invade. The Anti-Priest comes on and tells Annihilus about the Kree Armada attacking the city, and that's when Annihilus orders the attack to begin immediately. Johnny and his friends are out of their cells, and they're ready for a fight. You know, they call themselves the Light Brigade, but if they're going to fight a bunch of Annihilus' bug monsters, maybe they should call themselves something like the Orkin Brigade. So the gate opens, the monsters start streaming into Earth, Johnny goes supernova and burns up a bunch of them. The so-called Light Brigade goes into action. And, uh, why? Why are they here? Why does the Light Brigade even exist? Because we needed more characters to keep track of? So the group of them join Johnny in fighting Annihilus, who, by the way, in my notes, he may be the most consistently misspelled character there is. So Annihilus uses his stick, with the cosmic control rod attached to it, to stab one member of the group, a guy with a horse face and a sword. He stabs him right through the stomach. So the horse face guy pulls out the stick, and the stick and the cosmic control rod start to float away. This prompts a little competition between Johnny and An Annihilus to track down and chase after the stick to get there first. The next thing you know, Johnny has that new outfit and Annihilus on a leash and the door opens and we're back to where we started. Meanwhile, in Attilan, Medusa is sitting in a chair with Lockjaw by her side. And Lockjaw, by the way, is so much smaller than normal. What's going on here? First Annihilus and now Lockjaw? Everyone's getting smaller. Or maybe... I'm just getting bigger. Some dudes enter the room. It's that group of Universal Inhumans, the Light Brigade. Black... Oh wait. 
That's not the Light Brigade. That's another group that looks just like the Light Brigade. They're the group of Black Bolt's wives. Oh, it's so hard to keep track of this stuff. Black Bolt takes Medusa by the hand. Do the other wives have to watch as Black Bolt makes sweet, sweet love to his real wife? So anyway, at this moment, there seems to exist in their minds, Black Bolt and Medusa, as they talk to each other. I guess it finally explains how they communicate. Medusa says that she doesn't like these other ladies, and Black Bolt says he doesn't even know them. They are not very attractive, by the way. Black Bolt says that he must accept it, or he'll be something less than what he can be. Like, this is his fate? To have all these wives? And they have to, they just have to accept it. Love me for who I am now, not who I was, Black Bolt says like telepathically in their minds. So they decide to roll with the wives, and Medusa tells the other chicks to get ready. They're going to Earth. I guess this was supposed to be a flashback too. And isn't it kind of non a non-specific thing to say? Like, get ready, we're going to Earth. Doesn't she need to tell them where they're going? Like, how are they supposed to know what kind of clothes to pack? And so, days ago, it says... Reed and Sue are having a meeting on the moon with Galactus. And Reed is giving the Big G some kind of device given to him by Galactus's new herald. I'm not sure who that is. Galactus wants Reed to use that device to save Earth when the time comes. But why? Galactus says that there is a Galactus seed on Earth. Oh, everyone has a seed. That is so gross, by the way. He wasn't able to eat our planet. So what, it, he just wanked all over it? He goes on to say that Asgardians have his seed. I guess. And they hid it in a world tree. If the Earth is destroyed, his seed will drift off into space and it'll be hard to find. What is it with Hickman's obsession with seeds from people? Ugh. He goes on to say... That if the seed is born, it will seek to replace him. Sue's like maybe a new Galactus will be better. But really, you can't get much worse. The Big G says that a baby Galactus would be immature, lacking restraint. But also, very cute. So this, so this will, will not, not happen. happen. For, For I will stand at the heat death, death of the universe. universe. I will, I will watch, watch as everything, everything dies, dies and is, is reborn, reborn again. again. And after this crap, Galactus's last words to Reed and Sue is to check on their son and see what he's up to. How the hell does Galactus know what Franklin is up to? He's Galactus, not the Watcher. And so we end with a really badly drawn section of the book focusing on Franklin. He's created a new universe and hid it in his closet. He and Leech open the door, they enter this big white room, they tumble and they fall, and they land on one of the streets in Franklin's universe. Wasn't the Heroes Reborn universe also created by Franklin? He doesn't have a good track record with this kind of thing. They think the city stinks, so they change into, a, into superhero outfits and call themselves Hyperstorm and Kid Incredible. And we see them fighting spaceships, fighting moloids, fighting Doctor Doom. 
Oh, it's awful. And then we see that it's just Mole Man dressed as Doctor Doom. And then some person, a silhouette of a person, but all white, we can't see who it is. And the silhouette person tries to tell them that if Franklin made this universe, what does that make him? Yeah, God. Franklin says he's just a little boy with a big imagination. And they come out of the closet, back to the real world, and the silhouette guy tells them they're going to meet every day and practice. And he says goodbye, and the narration says that this is the day a little boy became the world's greatest hero. Ugh, boy. They are really stretching it to make this issue a 100-page giant. And that is the end of the issue. What the hell? There's a... You know, next, there's a text page with something written by editor Tom Brevoort saying, Welcome to a double milestone, folks. What you hold in your hands is not only the 600th issue of the Fantastic Four to be published, but commemorates the 50th anniversary of the comic book that, bega that began the Marvel Revolution of Superheroes. Well, it is the 50th anniversary of the Fantastic Four, but this is not the 600th issue of the Fantastic Four to be published. It's the 589th issue. Can you not count, you idiots? Maybe you could count the 32 annuals as issues, but then you'd have 621 issues of the Fantastic Four. I don't know where the 600 came from. Hi, welcome to episode 589, part 2 of the Fantastic Forecast. It's FF number 12 from January 2012. Too Many Kids by Jonathan Hickman and Juan Babilo. So half a world away, on a mountain covered in ice and snow, it's zapped with energy and we finally find out what happened when the top three floors of the Baxter building teleported away. They teleported onto the side of this snow covered mountain. The kids wonder where they are and how they're going to get home. Valeria points out nearby, it's Castle Doom, they're in Latveria. I don't think I've ever seen Latveria being so mountainous. One of the Moloids says that he hopes that Doctor Doom has snacks. I'm guessing... No. Franklin says he hopes he likes getting punched in his big stupid nose. I'm guessing... No. Of course, unknown to the kids, Doctor Doom is being held captive by one of the evil reeds. And the kids being there seems to be part of Nathaniel's plan. So later, after the Doombots pick up the kids and they bring them back to the castle, Nathaniel is there to give his grandkids a hug. I guess they don't realize it yet, but he's pulling a Robert De Niro and being a bad grandpa. Next, we have a flashback to a few months ago, where Nathaniel finds Valeria hard at work. Bentley has just seen Star Wars the night before, and he wants a lightsaber, so Valeria is building him one and hoping that he cuts off his head in the process, or so she says. She swings the lightsaber around briefly. I think Disney purchased Lucasfilm just to avoid a lawsuit here. So they chat for a bit about how Nathaniel knows about Valeria's deal with Doctor Doom. And then, back in the present, the kids, 
along with Nathaniel, Evil Reed, and Dr. Doom head back to the top three floors of the Baxter Building. They find that device that opens up into the dimension where all the Reeds meet and hang out. And Evil Reed says he's going home. And that is the end of the issue. Ugh. Is this why Marvel counts the first 11 issues of FF as issues of the Fantastic Four and doesn't count anything for 12 and after? Because these issues focus only on the kids? Ugh. And there's 12 more issues of this crap. The kids. Nothing but the kids. Too many kids. That's why they called it Too Many Kids. It's an appropriate title for the story. I hate Valeria, and I hate these genius kids. Oh, this is the worst. If you have any questions about the Fantastic Four, about this podcast, or if you need relationship advice, you can email me at podcastff at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter, Dave Elliott at podcastff. And you can download other episodes at iTunes and find them all at www.podcastff.podbean.com. So long, kids. This podcast is over. I wanna stay.